is Christ, and those words are echoes from uh, the Apostle Paul. And he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I pray, Lord, that for this time especially, that we point our minds and our attention to you, for the message that you have for everyone that is here and online. You have prompted us, and we have responded, and we are here, and we want to hear from you, Holy Spirit. We want to hear from you and experience your presence, because we know that by your Holy Spirit, you are here. So, living more Jesus Christ, we pray that you would be honored and glorified. Meet with us, we pray, in your matchless name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, my name is Gary. I'm another one of the pastors uh, here at uh, Westview. Um, so, shout outs. Uh, thank you, music team, uh, for leading us. That's Cam on the guitar. I give him uh, a, just really nice musical um, touches that add so much color and depth, and so thank you, Cam, for that. Um, also, uh, Alex Powelko's his last Sunday on the sound desk. Uh, he is a student. He was in town for a few months visiting family, and he said, I want to serve while I'm here. I know how to do sound, and he sure does. And so why don't we give Alex a back to school. So what that means is we're looking for some more sound people. And uh, there's training um, and, and all of that. You're joining a great team uh, of, of tech people there. And so I invite you, if you're just interested, if you're curious, you want to know a little bit more, please talk to one of the pastors, talk to one of the tech people. Um, you will be really blessed if you, if you do that. Uh, so thank you. Um, we said last week this phrase, Christ is risen, and uh, we just kind of resounded, you know, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, um, but has he? Some people are convinced, but, but many people are not convinced. Uh, they would have trouble uh, believing that, that Christ is risen. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, it's conceived that actually uh, death is a one-way street, a dead-end street at that. And that was the prevailing view of humankind throughout history, up until the point of Jesus. But then after Jesus' very uh, sort of in-view crucifixion, there was this volume of claims from people that had seen him, that said that Jesus was raised, that he was alive. No, uh, said the Sadducees, you know, a lot of the, the, the lawmakers and religious people, Epicureans, no, that's not possible. There is no resurrection from the dead. And this caused a lot of confusion, especially for a young uh, burgeoning churches, churches that were just starting groups of people that were now believing and wanting to follow Jesus, and that was the case in 
uh, a city in Greece called Corinth, and there was confusion there. And so, and because Paul had, had given them this message, and so he writes back to them. He writes back to them after being absent uh, from there for a while. He writes back to them in this letter at Corinth, and he doubles down. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to turn there in a moment. But he raises the stakes to the highest possibility. He makes this bold claim. So turn to 1 Corinthians 15 if you brought your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. It's just after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. This is what he writes. Now, if Christ proclaimed, is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? That's the prevailing question inside the church and outside the church. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Listen, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The stakes are as high as they can be. What he is saying is, if Christ is not raised, then our faith in, is worthless, preaching is worthless, following Jesus is worthless. As a matter of fact, if Christ is not raised, then we are essentially liars. If Christ is not raised, then the people that have died up until this point are essentially gone, they're lost. And we still are stuck with the spiritual forces of wickedness and evil and sin, and it just has its day and wins. That's how high the stakes are. And I was thinking, I wanted to illustrate this. Last week we talked about um, uh, the, the sort of centrality, the starting point of faith, and we began by illustrating it using Jenga blocks. So this morning I want to continue to give you an understanding of what Paul is saying when it comes to the centrality, the absolute importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the youth um, to help me with this. And so you're going to have to stand up. And uh, first of all, can someone just remind us again, yeah, we're going to do some Jenga. Uh, and can one of you remind us, you have to come forward. You seem really bashful all of a sudden. Uh, put me on the spot. So remind me again, what's the object of Jake? Um, what? To not knock down. To not knock down the tower. Okay, but what, what, is, what are you doing? Like, what is, how do you play this thing? Uh, you take out blocks and, like, section and try to stack it on top of the uh, other blocks. Oh, you actually stack it on top of the other blocks. Ooh, so I better move this. And the idea is to take blocks out, stack it, but not topple it. 
All right? Well, let's see you in action a little bit. And, and just start, every youth, if you want, everybody gets involved, and you take a block one at a time. So you get what's happening here. They're taking blocks. They're feeling around. Which is the one? Oh. So I just pause for a second. Just pause for a second. Hang on. Hang on. Now, why are you working in the middle instead of the bottom? You have to keep yourself on it. What would happen if you went to the bottom? He's going close to the bottom. That's pretty good. Okay. That feels very wobbly. I'm stepping back. <laughs> what what would happen if I if, what would happen if you took up that bottom block? Anybody know what would happen if you took up that bottom block? Anybody? What? If you it depends. If you take you could can you take out more than one of those bottom blocks? Depends. Can you take out that bottom row? He'll just fall down. Crash. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. It's getting more precarious as we go. We'll just have fun for more intelligence, will you? Thank you. It's good. Uh, ooh. All right. Okay. okay. Did each of you get a block already? Almost? Okay. That's good. Gonna try the bottom one? Why not? Why not? Oh, see what you're okay. Alright. So I'm gonna I'm gonna this is good. So I'm gonna pause here for a second. Can you just run away? What, what, what Paul is illustrating, what, what this is illustrating, what Paul is saying is, if this is our faith, if this is preaching, if this is our life, what he is saying is that the, the, the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead is this right here. And he's saying if you remove that, He says, if you remove that, this whole thing will fall. It all just collapses. Of course, I've got it in the wrong direction. But you know what? That's fine. That's all right. So, what Paul is saying is, this is illustrates the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And if you remove that, all, the, all our faith is, is collapses. Following Jesus collapses. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And what he's trying to get the church in Corinth to think about, and what he's trying to get all of us to think about, 
is to expand our understanding, to think actually bigger, to have a vision and a strategy for what God is actually doing, not just in the immediate here and now, but the actual large vision and vision. But the question is, why? What happened at Jesus' resurrection that made that the most important thing? What about Jesus' resurrection makes it so important that it literally shapes uh, the way we live and it influences how we think? What actually happened that that makes the most difference in all the world? That's the question we're going to wrestle with, and maybe you'll wrestle with that a bit with Tosh when you go up to uh, youth. And so I'm going to say, youth, you're dismissed. We're going to wrestle with that uh, some more uh, here this morning, and uh, just uh, give them a round of applause, too, since we're uh, What exactly happened when Jesus was raised from the dead that it makes the most, it is the most important fact and event in our faith and in human history. In a little while, we're going to have a time for Q&R, where you can ask your questions. You can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca, and you can do that any time while I'm talking. I'm fine with that. If I see you on your phone, I'm just going to assume that you're writing a message to ask at Westview Church. I'm good with that. Do it. Or stand up when the time comes for a Q&R. Stand up. We'll bring a microphone to you and you can ask your question now. I'll tell you, I, um, I feel the, the weight of what we're talking about last week and this week in this series in, of, of heaven, victory and mystery. It's part teaching and a whole bunch of preaching. And I feel the weight of it because um, it is about the most important thing that I can tell you. It makes all the difference in the world to you, to your family, to your friends, to your classmates and co-workers, to absolutely everything. I'm with Paul on this. Why is it so important? Why is Paul emphasizing this? You know, one of my professors back in my seminary days in Toronto, he had this phrase, where you start has a profound effect on where you finish. And that's the case for, for Jenga, sure, setting up the blocks, but where you start has a profound effect on where you finish. We know this about whether you're lining something up, like digging the channel and you're trying to get that all sorted out. Or in, in Toronto, we had a backyard that had a slope and we had a had to make um, stairs in the backyard, and so you had to figure out exactly the trajectory. You start at the top when you're building stairs, you start at the bottom. It makes a big difference. Theologically, in terms of your faith and beliefs, where you start has a big effect on your finish as well. Do you start in your faith and belief with the creation? For Paul, and even Jesus before Paul, they started with Jesus and particularly the cross, his crucifixion and resurrection. For Paul, the centrality and the start of everything was Jesus. Jesus walking with uh, some, some guys 
leaving Jerusalem after Jesus was crucified, and Jesus explains to them on this road to Emmaus everything that the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, had to do with Jesus. That's what Paul is saying too. That actually the scriptures up to this point, all of the Old Testament material that they had, Jesus and now Paul is saying all of that material was all pointing to Jesus. All of the writings from different people in different backgrounds, different times, all of it, guided by the Holy Spirit, of course, was leading to and pointing to Jesus. But when we talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, when we talk about life after life, or we talk about eternal life, maybe you get a twinge. Get a bit of a twinge, because it just sounds kind of too fantastic. We don't have that experience. We go to memorials. We, we see. So we get this twinge. And we kind of conceive of it, but do we really lean in and believe it? And we worry. As educated, intelligent people, we worry that it sounds maybe hashtag Actually worse, we worry that it can sound a little hashtag foolish. And yet pop culture is fascinated with life after death. I mean, I just did a quick Google of movies. Ugh. You know, we're fascinated with it, and yet the representation in pop culture, whether it's books or movies or TV shows, the representation of it isn't that great. It actually looks kind of spooky or like eerie or awful in most cases, not like desirable. And the pop culture, the worldview, uh, also doesn't make any differentiation or delineation in terms of, well, who goes or who doesn't go? Who lives, or continues to live, or, and who doesn't? Oh, except for maybe there's a delineation. In, in some cases, um, if, if a person is good. And so then we, we develop, if we allow pop culture to influence and sway our way of thinking, which we do, incidentally, we're swimming in it. We begin to think about uh, eternal life and life after this life, well, it has to do with morals of being good, which, you know, leads to asceticism where we just deny, deny, deny. And you don't really want God because being good is kind of like really boring and awful. Or it leads to uh, licentiousness, which is you basically fill your hat and go crazy, go nuts, because there isn't such a thing, or it's awful anyway. So we live for the here and now. And you say, well, Gary, that's not, not the case. I'm not living for the here and now, except if I were to look at your schedule and your agenda, your calendar, if you gave me your phone and I looked at it, what would I find? Because we're jab-packing our calendars. There's no white space. And, and parents, I know your kids are up and you're getting a bit of space right now. She's like, praise the Lord. 
China said, you can have my kids for the week. <laughs> but otherwise, like, you know, parents and guardians, like, you're doing a lot of Ubering. Take it from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and the kids are going, or both of you are working, or one of you's working one and a half jobs or whatever, and we're just full, and we're just going after stuff as though we're living for the year and now without any sort of um, indication on the calendar, on the schedule about spiritual growth and development. And so there has been over the years a decline in attendance, even in the church, and then even more so with COVID. But I'm going to put an asterisk there, because most of that decline is actually in the white Western European uh, influence backed churches. It isn't in some of the other countries that are not as enamored with the affluent, the shiny objects and, and affluence. It's actually here. We fill our hats, so to speak. But what Paul is saying is that Jesus is raised from the dead. And it's the most important thing you can know, believe, and live by in all of your life. So what happened? Paul dropped his entire life after he had met Jesus. I mean, he, I've already said he was educated at the best. He had like a, a, a great professor. He was in an elite group. He was a leader among leaders. And all of that, but he dropped all of that when he met Jesus and he changed his life. And what he got for it were sometimes he got whipped, like 40 lashes minus one on multiple occasions. They tried to kill him. Like this guy, like, really paid heavily for the switch that he made. So, what happened in terms of human history that made resurrection of Jesus Christ the most important thing? Well, let's continue with. But he writes in verse 20. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus has set about a chain reaction, a chain reaction of physical, bodily resurrection of the dead, physical, bodily life without end. Paul uses this phrase, first fruits. It's a concept and, a, and language that he has taken uh, from the Old Testament, uh, from Leviticus, Leviticus 23. And that language is, he is saying that Jesus is the first fruits. And what they understood is, at harvest time, there was the early harvest that began. But that first fruits, that early harvest, was prior to the main harvest. And by showing that first fruit, it was also evidence that there would both be a main harvest, and that it was absolutely sure by looking at that first uh, fruit, by looking at that evidence. What we have here is Paul is referring, and he's bringing Adam into this conversation, is he's referring to that creation account, and he's describing that at the resurrection of Jesus, there is a recreation taking place. There is a recreation that has happened here. 
And that Adam and Eve are not just one-off individuals, but they are representative of all of humankind. What Paul is saying is, just like through Adam, through the human being, we all sin as human beings. So Adam and Eve are every man, every woman. Just like Adam and Eve, human beings, just like sin comes through being human. So that makes all of us, he is saying all of, in that way. But then he also says, um, so too righteousness comes through a person that is Jesus Christ. There is a recreation that is happening. Do you notice, and I pointed this out last week, that every plant and animal is striving to live. If you go on a hike into the mountains, you will see even on the rocks a flower, a tiny little flower, intricate in detail, but it is somehow managed to get enough to sustain itself out of rock in order to reach up in order to live. Every plant and animal is striving to live because it's imprinted upon us. And what is happening here is that through the raised Jesus Christ, that will actually happen. And that is the victory. This reversal of the outcome of sin, which is death and decay, and so what has happened now with the resurrection of Jesus is the reversal of that outcome. That outcome no longer has a reality for followers of Jesus. But the question then is, okay, what is the sequence? What is the order? What is the process of how this unfolds? Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Now we understand that phrase. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The order starts with this, Christ will come or he will appear on earth. He will return. The Greek word there is parousia. It's one of the main phrases that's used to describe Christ's return or his appearing, his coming. I think someone's phone is agreeing with me. He will come to earth. That is the beginning of this final phase. And he will destroy the spiritual powers of wickedness. The earth is, is oppressed by fallen spirits of wickedness. We see it. It's, it's evident. And he will destroy those spiritual forces of wickedness. And then he will also put an end to death itself. Death itself will come to an end. And listen to the language, because death itself is an enemy of God's. If you would read Revelation 22, the last chapter, the last few verses, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's called. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the end of that are these words from Revelation 22. Winston, if you could put that on. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. This is Jesus in the book of Revelation at the end. One who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The writer John adds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So Christ is raised, which means, if you go back to the previous slide, that a sequence has been initiated. A sequence has been initiated. Through the risen Jesus Christ, there is a guaranteed outcome. That guaranteed outcome is that there will be life on earth without end, and it will be perfect. It is the beginning of a new beginning. The future is in our present now. That Jesus Christ is raised is the greatest startup of all time. Paul is trying to make the Corinthian congregation aware of it, and I'm reminding us and bringing that to our awareness as well. Peter, writing in 1 Peter, he likened what happened on the cross and the risen Jesus Christ, he likened it to what happened in the Old Testament era when Noah was building an ark. The sequence were building that ark, and Noah built the ark, that ark was going to carry him and his family and animals safely through trials and tribulations and this flood. And Peter says that, well, let's read what Peter says. For Christ also suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then Peter goes on there to talk about how uh, Jesus went and witnessed to people that had already died. And then he goes on further, if you would read further in this, that he says that Jesus now, he compares Jesus to the ark. He compares Jesus now to Noah's ark. In fact, he is saying that Jesus is now finally the ultimate ark. Actually, the ark was pointing, actually, it was a shadow, an echo of what Jesus actually is. Jesus is our ark, and Jesus, the point is to carry us to God. There is life after life hereafter. The final consummation when Jesus returns, that is a protracted, that is an extended period of time, that sequence. But the sequence has been initiated and it is real. And it is a mix also, thank you, uh, Winston. It is a mix of both having already taken place, a fulfillment in the race of Jesus Christ. He's the first but also an expectation that it isn't complete yet. But it has already started, and our eternal life, our life without end, is something that God can give and does give to people already. 
that you can already have. You can already have this life, eternal life, that is receive a life without end. John puts it this way in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, those who hear my name and believe him who sent me have eternal life and do not come into judgment, but have passed out of death into life. So when you say yes to Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, John writes in chapter 7 that you receive the Holy Spirit and as a down payment and as a seal and you receive this eternal life and this life without end already. But it's not completed yet. And so one of the things, you know, as we're thinking about heaven and its it's, it's victory and it's mystery. One of the things that we understand from this, when Paul writes that Jesus is coming or the parousia, that he will appear, that he returns, is that ultimately what we're talking about is that the final uh, life eternal will be on earth. Life eternal will be here in this place. Death and illness will be removed. And so what we can also glean from that is that, listen, death and illness are opposed to our Creator. They are opposed to God. God doesn't like cancer. He doesn't like uh, disease. He doesn't like death. They are an enemy. They are in opposition to him. And one day he will put it to an end. So be careful when we talk about illnesses and death as though that that's God's idea. He doesn't like Parkinson's. He doesn't like dementia. It's an affront to his beautiful creation and he will someday put an end to it all. And we all long for that day. Every plant, every animal is striving for eternal life, to live forever. We know that this is true. Because Jesus is raised from the dead. Death didn't defeat him. In fact, he defeated it. All the spiritual forces of wickedness thought they had. But this also means that there is what we would call an intermediate place or an interim place, depending on the language you use, because you have eternal life if you follow Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit. You have eternal life, and we know that someday Jesus is going to return and we're going to set up life without end on earth, but then we also know that you've received eternal life. That means it's never turned off. So between here where we are today and that day when it comes, when someone dies, they are in a place and they are still alive, and we call that the intermediate place or the interim place. Because death has not been put to an end yet. And there still is cancer and Parkinson's. So followers of Jesus, though they die, they never really die. Jesus said, I am God of the living. In fact, he was quoted when God met Moses. 
He said, have you not heard that I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob? I am the God of the living, not the dead. So it raises all kinds of questions. And the way that we talk, you know, friends, listen, when we talk as though, uh, we, we kind of muddle it around a little bit, but we, you know, uh, we go to funerals and memorials and we talk about people that have died and we kind of talk as though, that, well, that's it. Like they've now, that they're, they've reached their final place, but they haven't. There's more to come. They are in the presence of Jesus Christ right now because followers of Jesus are alive and I believe they are conscious and so on. But that's not the end of this story. That's why the resurrected Christ is so important. We have to understand the whole picture. Yes, the whole picture. We're going to talk more about that final uh, life eternal without end on earth. But for this morning, it's important to understand that there's also this intermediate state with it. I want to pause for some questions. Because I could just keep preaching, but I kind of wonder if I'm just, um, what's on your minds? When you hear this, what are the questions that you have? Some specifics that we can point to. And we'll have a question you can text or email, or you can stand where you are, T-Y. Okay. Continue from this place. So the question that came in this morning is this. Why didn't Jesus hang around longer after the resurrection? Okay. Yeah, why didn't he hang around longer? Um, I mean, we'll have to ask him. <laughs> Because I don't see that particularly written somewhere. It's, a, it's a, like he, right? He could have, he could have stayed longer. Um, but what he was doing is he was giving the responsibility. The work of expanding the kingdom was not something that he was going to do. The work of expanding the kingdom was something that he was giving the church to do. And so he had spent sufficient, well, he spent time on earth in order for lots of people to see that he was alive, and he gave messages to the church, and he actually said, you will do more amazing, powerful things than I did, in the sense of his limited time on earth, but that he was giving that to the church, because ultimately, Jesus raised our faith is based on testifying to the risen Jesus Christ who is on his throne right now as Lord and authority. Our testimony is that that's the reality of life. And so if he stays on earth, it, it convolutes the message. So could he have stayed plus or minus? Yes, but ultimately, He's gone to prepare a place. He's on that intermediate place. Jesus. He's raised from the dead. Physically. In a place. Enoch. Walked with God and then he was taken. He's in a place. Elijah. He's in a place. Ah. Raising my voice. <laughs> 
So this piggybacks a bit onto that one, and this is this. What is the main stumbling block for people to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, yeah, I would, I would, what's the main stumbling block for believing that Jesus was raised from the dead? You know, I would actually probably want to turn that around and ask some of you. Like, look, I get twinges. You get twinges because it seems kind of fantastic. How can it possibly be that this person in a place and time in history was raised from the dead? How could it be? Like, cognitively, there's some dissonance. Uh, I've heard people, look, you, you probably heard this, like, even if I can ascend to that intellectually, actually living it out is another matter. And uh, I talked to someone, you've heard this too, but sometimes it's like, I just don't want to follow Jesus, I don't want to be religious because it's really boring. And I'm just going to have to give up all my fun and I'm going to have, it's, it's not exciting, there's nothing to it, it's probably like, you know, all of this kind of stuff and I'm not finished having fun yet and I, I want to go for it. But in re reality, you're, it's such a deception. Look at the mountains, is God beautiful or what? Look at the flowers, is God beautiful and the rainbows? God is like, he's beautiful. When you're having fun in sports or something, where do you think that that glee comes from? God is fun. Everything good is from Him. We're believing a lie, but we think that God is boring or He's not fun. Look around in creation. Look how inventive He is, how creative He is, how awesome He is. This whole sense when somebody you know, comes close to you and they show kindness to you or gentleness to you and it makes you feel good, that's love. That's God. lean into that and follow that, but we're believing lies, we're believing pop culture. And this whole skippy zombie thing is going, come on! Right? you got to be kidding me. We need, we need scripture to fund our imaginations for what is real. Oh. But there's more. I, I, would, I would welcome you to send in I would love to know what inhibits people from believing and following the raised Jesus Christ. Send, send some of your thoughts in to ask the Western Church. I'd love to hear those. So that we're not just throwing spaghetti at the wall. We can actually address those. Let's park with this last question. Okay. I'll invite the worship team to come on and join me here. Yeah. Uh, is there a connection between Jesus' returning for 40 days after his resurrection and the 40 days that he was tempted by Satan before he was crucified? Number 40, obviously. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, there's a whole lot that's going on there uh, with the 40. I mean, 40 years in the desert. Um, what Jesus, yeah, was doing, and you can see uh, essentially this, this entire sort of reversal of the problems that Israel had. Um, there's so much that is being indicated by these numbers of 40, whether it's uh, uh, raining for 40 days, uh, 40 years in the desert. But this reversal of all of that, and this reclaiming, this theology of re reinstituting, redeeming, restoring, that's all taking place. And I absolutely think that, yeah, there's no sort of coincidence to these numbers, including that number.
Absolutely. So friends, I want to tell you this morning, what I, I just I want to plead with you this morning to consider your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what Scripture is saying and testifying to is, is describing what befalls the outcome, the future of those who follow Jesus Christ. What Paul is describing is that like in Adam, all human beings sin. But then he also says, so through one man came righteousness. So righteousness is available through Jesus Christ to everybody. But that means that you still accept or reject that. Righteousness through Jesus Christ to everyone. But it's our relationship to Jesus Christ that determines our place in the intermediate and final state. And it also has a bearing on our, our relationship to other people and to creation. This is his temple. His temple is kind of spherical. His temple is both our, our, our bodies, we have the Holy Spirit, then his temple is the congregation, the church, and then ultimately his temple is earth, this creation. It started in Eden, and it was beautiful, then we messed it up. Israel tried to have their assignment, they messed it up. Jesus came and has established and redeemed it, and his temple is here, and so we need to care for his temple. He's coming back here, he's going to restore this. So we care about the earth, and we care about other people. We do, not because of like uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but because this is the temple of God. It's beautiful. And the last thing I want to leave you with is to evaluate how you live your life. Evaluate how you live your life in respect to the point that Jesus is raised from the dead, that there is an intermediate state and a final state. Evaluate. Look at your schedule. Look at your 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 uh, finance. Look at your activities. Look at it all and evaluate. Because there's a reason that Paul said that Jesus is now the ark that was described first by Noah. Because in the day of Noah, there were people that saw Noah building an ark and they laughed. Jesus is our ark. We need to live in a way that demonstrates that actually heaven and the intermediate and eternal state are so important to me that it shapes the way I live, it shapes the way I conduct myself, and it also is a way that I pass on what I'm passing on to the next generation. Because this is what we pass on to the next generation. The kids and the youth. What is so important that we live our lives what is more important than Jesus is raised from the dead? It isn't soccer, hockey, uh, academics, or anything else. Those are all wonderful things, but it's the most important thing in the way I live my life demonstrates what's most important. Jesus is raised from the dead. Christ is risen. 